This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz, and happy Father's Day. Good morning, Wally. Happy Father's Day to you, too. Thanks so much. And to all the fathers out there, we wish you a special day. Um, I hope you have a fantastic day. Uh, Naz, uh, just to give the listeners uh, an idea where we're going with the show today, we've got Matt Janella from the Golf Channel. He'll be joining us shortly uh, after the first break and uh, some interesting uh, turns of events at uh, Shinnecock Hills uh, yesterday. So we're looking to thrilled to talk to Matt uh, from the Golf Channel, the Morning Drive show, uh, and he's got some interesting opinions, I think, about the Mi- Phil Mickelson episode. When they wow, call him, have you ever seen anything like that? <laughs> when they call him Phil the Thrill, uh, I uh, guess there's that, more than just his, his golf game. That but, reminded me of the uh, me playing on the 15th hole somewhere. You know? <laughs> uh, never, I never... I laughed, I laughed. I mean, I, you, you sort of expect a guy like John Daly to do something like that, but Phil... And it's it the winning. way he did it. It's the way he did it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to Matt Janelle about that. In the middle of the hour is a story we've been talking about for years on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. It's, of course, uh, in a general sense, generically, we talk about concussions and brain injuries, and we've always been talking about the NHL concussion lit- litigation. And we're pleased to welcome back to the show this morning Stephen Greigel. Uh, he'll be on in the middle of the hour talking about, uh, uh, going to bring us up to date on the NHL concussion litigation and also uh, um, Nick Boynton, the Nick Boynton story this week that broke uh, uh, Nick, uh, former player for quite a few teams, but a local boy from Nobleton. Yeah, he's uh, a, he, he grew up in Nobleton and uh, he was a very popular guy there and he still is. And he came out with a, an interesting column. Yeah, a scathing sure. column in a lot of ways and a poignant column and um, yeah, it was uh, if you haven't read it Google it, Nick Boynton, the Players' Tribune. Um, uh, the man is suffering, and he will probably suffer the rest of his life. And he had the courage to come out and talk about it this week in a very, very, very personal manner. Uh, an article, a great interview on uh, on on uh, Fan Five Ninety Prime Time with McCown and company. Um, so we'll be talking to Stephen Grigo, the lead attorney in the NHL concussion litigation. Anyways, Naz, at this point in the show, I usually report to the listeners. We also, aside from being on on radio, we're also video live streaming at www.zoomerradio.ca. I usually report on your wearing Naz Buffalo but, Bills hat. That's Buffalo it. Bills hat. But I just want to point out that. I- <laughs> <laughs> if you want to explain to the listeners what... Uh, what sweater is that, Wally? My boys, my boys, my adopted World Cup team, the uh, the Vikings they, from Iceland. They couldn't even beat Argentina Oh, yesterday. they couldn't even beat Argentina. <laughs> 
All 320,000 of them strong were watching the game yesterday. 10% of their population travels. Uh, so uh, given the uh, my beloved Azzurri didn't make it to the World Cup this year, I've adopted the Iceland team as my as my favorite team, and I'm proudly wearing the Icelandic colors this morning. Picked up this little jersey in my sojourn in Iceland a couple of years ago, and uh, I'm a proud wearer. They uh, they battled the, one of the great teams in the world, Argentina, to a 1-1 draw yesterday. So uh, first point in the history of Iceland in a World Cup, I, quite frankly, I think it's the first time they've ever appeared in the World Cup. I can't say that I'm 100% sure about that. But they are certainly uh, the underdogs in every game that they play. And they uh, they managed to battle the uh, the uh, the titanic team from our and Lionel Messi Leo Messi uh, got stopped on a on a penalty shot a penalty kick yesterday uh, now we have to end this debate now the, the currently the best soccer player in the world is uh, Ronaldo uh, certainly in the last over, 3 yeah. days he's been the best no, soccer I player think in, in the, the last world last couple of years but now uh, it's coming to the forefront yeah um i it, that's a tough argument i i would have i've always i mean the debate you know the debate is who's the current, greatest currently, currently uh messi was was uh the better player uh uh, six seven years ago, when he was willing, winning the world uh, world player of the year award. They, interestingly enough, I think they've both won it five times now. Uh, I can't remember the name. It's the balloon balloon d'or or something. Words to that effect. Anyways, it goes to the world's best soccer player as voted on an annual basis. And I think uh, Messi and Ronaldo have now won it five times each. But Ronaldo's won it more times in the recent past. And what a performance! And you know, and I've I've always thought. Uh, uh, I've always been a big Leo Messi fan, not so much a Cristiano Ronaldo fan, although, um, you know, I do have to, uh, you know, I had to eat some humble pie with Alexander Ovechkin on the air last week. Uh, and, you know, I can't disagree with you right now. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is playing the game uh, at a level that it perhaps no other player in the world is playing it at right now. we got to give him credit. Um, I've never been a big fan of uh, Ronaldo's antics on the pitch, as they call it. Um, and I don't want to get into that debate right now because I'll probably get myself in a lot of trouble. So I'll stay away from uh, uh, from Ronaldo's antics on, on the field Uh He's a little bit over the top, but you know what? When you play and you achieve the success and the results that he does, uh, some some people will tell you, well, you know what? If you can back it up, then you're entitled to show off. So That was a great game, by the way. And for, Spain for, and Portugal yeah, you're for, talking about. Yeah, for that to be it was one of the opening games, it's tough because it's hard to follow. After watching that, and, you gotta, and I watched... Uh, Two other teams played. I think Denmark played, and I said, "Oh, Denmark boy. and Peru." Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. what a difference! Well, n- normally the first round is usually a snore fest because most of the teams are usually just playing for position. Uh, they don't want to make they have to absolutely make sure they get a result. They don't want to lose your first game. A lot of them play for ties coming out of the coming out of the gate. But soccer's, you know, soccer's changed uh, over the years. Uh, you know they uh that was uh, that was a battle between two titanic teams uh portugal is you know obviously now as euro the, you know they won the euro the last time around they've taken their uh game to to the highest levels uh portugal's never been talked about as being one of the top teams in the world uh 
um, at a level like Brazil or a level like Germany or a level like Spain. But in the last few years with, with Ronaldo, they, they are in the, in the discussion as potential World Cup champions, and they certainly proved it on, on Friday. And the guy, uh, you know, what can you say about Cristiano Ronaldo? You know, uh, you know three goals. In three different ways. I mean, one of them, one of them shouldn't have been a goal. Let's 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 be fair. The Spanish goaltender completely botched what should have been an easy save. But I'm not going to take anything away from Ronaldo. You get a hat trick in yeah, in, in an opening game. Uh, I mean, the la- the 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 third goal uh, right at the end when when Portugal had to tie it up was just great shot. Uh, you know, there's only so many players in the world who can do that. And interestingly enough, one of them plays in Toronto, for that matter, uh, Jovenko. Um, but uh, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a goal of absolute, as the as the commentators call it, pure genius. And there's only a handful of guys who can do it in the world. Ronaldo is one of them, and you know, give him all the credit in the world, and give Spain and Portugal. Uh, two soccer teams, uh, all the credit in the world for just not coming. In, just not playing an opening game and just mailing it in. They weren't playing for a tie. They weren't playing for position. These teams, they share that uh, that little peninsula, Iberian, whatever they call it. Uh, there's probably not a hell of a love lost between <laughs> between Portuguese and Spanish people in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, certainly their history goes back hundreds of years, and they, they desperately wanted to beat each other, and it showed. Wally, why do coaches? Costa was playing a great game for for Spain, and they pulled him after the three two lead, trying to hold on to the lead. I don't understand coaches. Why do they do that? Because if they tie the score up, they don't have him coming back, right? So, uh, who knows what goes through a coach's mind? And sometimes, God. you know what? Sometimes there's there's um, you know the, the there, there's little things that happen on the pitch. You know, he could have had a tight muscle. He could have you know his hamstring. You don't know what kind of condition he was in. Maybe he looked at the coach a little bit. Maybe he's, the coach saw him limp. You, you, you don't know these things. And you oh, know. I think he pulled them to hey, hold you know, on and, to the they're, and they're playing the odds, right? Yeah, they're, 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 roll, they're, they're rolling the dice, and you know you got the lead. You want to bring the guy on uh, that perhaps is a little bit more defensive, and you make that change. Sometimes those changes work out, and sometimes they don't. Video replays come to soccer now. I'm not sure. So sure, <laughs> I like that. Well, apparently, apparently in the French game yesterday, um, everybody was happy about it. Uh, I wasn't able to, I wasn't actually able to see the game, saw the highlights. Uh, there was an incident where uh, the French international star, and I, I think he's a great player, Griezmann, uh, was taken down. The ref didn't call it, and then they reviewed it, and then they called a penalty, and then France ultimately ended up winning the game. Um, all the all the critics, all the all the uh, commentators on Twitter, I was reading last night. They were all supportive of that decision. They were supportive of that video review because it happened fairly quickly, and and uh, they got on with the game. And ultimately, the right call came out. Uh, we'll continue our World Cup discussion. Uh, obviously, as the World Cup goes along, perhaps later on in this hour, we've got to go to break, and we'll be right back after the break with Matt Janella from the Golf Channel. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty programme. But some listeners thought I was saying royalty programme. <coughs> to be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However, 
After your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. And that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 in downtown Toronto. We're also on 96.7 FM on the internet, live streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, the Golf Channel's Matt Janella. Good morning, Matt. How are you this morning? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure having you, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to get right to it, Matt. Uh, I thought this morning we'd be talking about uh, the golf and the great performances, and uh, uh, and there is certainly a lot to look forward to, but a lot of the discussion this morning is centered around the course, the conditions, and uh, the gentleman who's known as Phil the Thrill Mickelson. Uh, Phil the Thrill, mostly for his golf game. Phil the Thrill for an incident yesterday that uh, some people are laughing about. Uh, some people of the, some golf purists just think it was an absolute travesty. Matt, I've seen some of your tweets. Uh, I think you probably fall in the latter category than the first category. Um, what was your immediate reaction to what Phil did on that green? Well, my my immediate reaction is I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I could not believe. I still, to see the highlight is still a little, it's like, sh- it's shocking. It's, um, it's disappointing. It's, um, it's weird. And uh, I think, I think it was, I think it was bad. I think it was bad for Phil. It was bad for golf. It was, um, it, I agree. I, I, the last thing I think we should be talking about on this on a morning like today. If you think of other major championships, it just doesn't get to this point, really. It's um, 
Matt, I just want to I just want to explain to our listeners, in uh, just in case they didn't see it, uh, it was yeah. an incident on a green in Chinnacock uh, yesterday afternoon. The U.S. U, the U.S. Open is being played at Chinnacock Hills. Uh, the conditions changed yesterday afternoon because the wind came up, the greens dried out, and putts were starting to roll off the green. And what happened was that Phil putted. I can't remember if it was the thirteenth, the fifteenth, thirteenth, thirteenth, and he putted the ball. Any ball that went past the hole basically just rolled off the green. And and what Phil decided to do was run after his ball, and as it rolled past the hole, he, uh, instead of waiting for it to stop, he just casually just rammed it back up the green. Of course, the rules of golf say you cannot hit a ball in motion. Um, uh, I was... I was I, I, I'll be quite frank with you, Matt. I'm not accepting Phil's explanation uh, that he had thought about it ahead of time and he was doing it because he knew the rules allowed it and he knew he was going to take his two-stroke penalty and that would have been a better result than letting it uh, run off the green. To me, it was just it was similar to the John Daly incident. He was just trying to make a point that this is crazy, and you know I'm going to make my point by doing this. Um, you have any assessment uh, seeing it the same way, Matt, or was Phil yeah. that? No, I don't. I don't accept it either. It, it's, it's, uh, it was pretty lame. The whole thing is lame, and, and you know, and Andrew Beef uh, Johnston, who was playing with him, you know, blows his whole cover because they interview beef after the round and he goes and they said what happened after that? he goes well he asked me he goes now what happens you know what 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 happened you know but phil was not clear on the rule as which is what he said he was as though it was some sort of pre you know premeditated strategic maneuver that he was doing um you know this is it is definitely phil being phil and, and um for the most part, uh, as an observer of the game for over you know twenty plus years and, and covering the game since really nineteen ninety six uh, for both you know Sports Illustrated, Golf Digest, and now Golf Channel, and I've had plenty of Phil uh, you know uh, you know moments in which I've spent time with him and uh, played golf with him, and you know um, I just it's he. Sometimes he he gets in these modes. He believes his own BS, and it's not. You know, it's it's this is BS. The whole thing is BS, and it's it's bad. And um, I I you know the the USGA really didn't do him any favors by not disqualifying him. Yeah. I think they would have done him a favor by saying, yes. "Look, Phil, you're disqualified," and then he would have been able to say, "I'm sorry, I made a mistake," and he would have been gone, and we would have moved on. By not disqualifying him, and you know, and then you know, the USGA said, "Oh, you know, that wasn't his intent," and he said, "That actually was my intent." So that the whole thing got, you know, by the USGA jumping in and making a quick decision on whether or not he was going to, you know, what rule they were going to impose based on intent of what they thought was his intent, when actually it wasn't. If he if he was actually trying to use the rules to his advantage in a way that you know, the, the way that we kind of saw the way that he said he was going to do then he definitely should have been disqualified i mean he you know he's saving himself shots by you know pre you know by having a preconceived notion of what he was going to do when in reality he just hit a really bad putt and he was going to go back into the same area that he just was and he said uh, you know i probably saved myself some shots it's crazy yeah i mean at the end at the end of the day um 
you know, golf sometimes is an unfair game, and but it's the same course for everybody. Although, in yesterday, it wasn't the same course for everybody. And I don't want to leave the Phil. I want to leave the Phil conversation. Yeah, uh, I think the. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what the USJ would have done if, by some miracle, uh, if Phil had been in contention, and yeah. if he had of if if, if it had a, when he hit the ball when it was in motion, if he had actually dropped it in the cup, if it had gone back up the hill Don't and into the it. cup, oh yeah. my God, what what would the, I can't see the USGA having done anything other than but disqualifying him. But let's move on. Let's move on from the Phil discussion. Um, Matt, and we'll talk about the other big uh, story, uh, and then we'll try and get to the to the to the actual foursomes or the actual match this afternoon. But the other big story is, of course, Shinnecock, and it seems every time the U.S. opens at Shinnecock Hills, we seem to end up with the same story, which is balls. If the wind uh, blows blows in and they haven't watered the greens and I know that they were furiously watering them like crazy last night this is what you end up with and in I can't remember perhaps you can help me out here Matt but Mike Davis of course who's responsible uh, for most of this uh, is in the hot seat in the USGA actually apologized um, for for the conditions um, your reaction to what happened yesterday condition wise well, this, you know, 2004, the setup scenario and what happened, uh, they were pretty defiant at that time. I went back and read a lot of the articles after the 2004 situation. And, Tom, you know, basically cost Tom Meeks his job and interstage Mike Davis at that time. And, um, and now we've seen this run of, of setup, you know, miscues uh, or um, bad... Uh, rulings, um, a series of, of odd and, and bad and negative rulings um, within the confines of, of the tournaments that they run under the watch of Mike Davis. And um, it's just, it continues to be unfortunate. This is the national championship. This is, it doesn't seem to me to be this way. I was out at Shinnecock the week before the Open. I spent some time with the maintenance crew. I looked at all the new technology they have in or- for, for course maintenance, turf technology, uh, the sensors and the drones and the, all the various things that they now know about what's going on under the surface as opposed to 2004 when it, there was a lot of guesswork. It was just based on what they were looking at or what they felt. And um, so... Uh, this is on them for sure. I, I was told by one USGA official in my reporting, and I tweeted this yesterday, that if to get to a 2004 scenario again, at least 12 people would have to be asleep at the wheel. And there it was. You know, here we are Saturday afternoon, and, and it was, you know, it, it, it might not have been as bad as Sunday in 2004, but it was, it was pretty – it was – close enough it was too close um knowing what we know i they you know it just takes away from like you said we you know we should be talking about you know the play and uh and 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 the historical you know significance of what it would mean if dustin johnson won or brooks kepka goes back to back and and uh how about the rounds that burger and female had you know that they're somehow getting 
discredited for the level of golf they had because they played the morning. But in reality, I mean, there wasn't a lot of guys shooting 66. Those guys, too, uh, they separated themselves from that morning wave, and good for them. But um, it's just it's just all disappointing. It's uh, you know I love the game. Uh, uh, we, we're doing everything we can to try to grow the game to to sort of uh, br- you know bring people to the game and and the series of, of events that the USGA has done, the rules changes that they've done, the, the lack of rules changes that they've done. You know. The, the the ongoing sort of saga that unfolds in the tournaments that they manage and run is is just always a step backwards on the ongoing effort by everybody in the game to try to to try to to try to grow it. I don't I think that it feels like to me the USGA is working against us, so to speak. And that's 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 not acceptable from the governing body of golf in my opinion. Matt, should they be uh, running this U.S. Open on a different basis? It looks to me like a British Open. And uh, I, I like the British Open, but I only like one of them. I like the U.S. Open, but not on courses like that. Very unfair. What do you think? Well, I mean, what, 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 what is, what course, you know, Shinnecock is an amazing golf course. You know, I could see people say, you know, having, having issues with Chambers Bay, you know, oh, Chambers Bay, you know, and Port Chambers Bay is a public golf course. This is a place that makes a living on sort of people wanting to go there to play golf there. And, you know, that was an empty sand pit that they converted and turned into this amazing facility that, that people can use and walk and get exercise. You know, it was just a bowled out, you know, gravel pit that was kind of left for dead. And that's a great story. And then the USGA comes in and bakes out the greens, and the players have issues with the setup, and, and everyone goes away and goes, oh, Chambers Bay, terrible, that place, terrible, the greens are horrible, you know. And the effect that that has had on Chambers Bay business is quite frankly unfair. Whether you like it or don't like it, whether you want to pay that amount or not pay that amount, that's all good conversation. But if it's based on sort of what you saw that week of the U.S. Open, that's unfair. Aaron Hills is, you know, Shinnecock has got members. It doesn't really mean, you know, I'm not worried about Shinnecock's mm-hmm. future. It's always going to be a phenomenal golf course. But, but you know, um, this, this, the way they're setting the, these up and the way they're stealing the, the discourse and the conversation away from what is just the action and the, and, and the energy behind what is championship golf is, is uh, it's unacceptable. It's, it's, they've got to take a look in the mirror and try to figure out what needs to be done to stop this run of negativity? Uh, I, you know, uh, that's Ma- it. Uh, sorry, Matt, and we're talking to Matt Janelle of the Golf Channel, and talking about the greatness of Shinnecock. Uh, what are you expecting from the course today? Um, what have you heard in terms of what they've tried to do overnight? And uh, you, do you get a sense that they might go to some easier pin positions today than they normally would on a Sunday? What's your sense yeah. of what's going on? Yeah, well, I just heard the Mike Davis interview on on Golf Channel's live from, and um, he was just saying that, you know, Wednesday night they knew Thursday was going to be tough, so they moved some pin locations, and and they had had rain, so that that certainly helped Thursday. Um, it, I hope I hope they put the amount of water on the on the golf course they need to needed to do both last night and this morning, so that. There is some moisture there left for the afternoon after what will be similar conditions as yesterday. And then I, I think pin, pin positions are going to be critical. I, I would suspect that 
every one of those 18 pin positions has been, you know, very scrutinized. <laughs> uh, because, you know, and it's one thing if a guy gets above a hole, and that's a bad spot to be in, and the ball goes down and off the green. You know, that... Hey, that's bad. You got to be below the hole. You know that, that happens. That that is part of golf. You know where you hit your ball is a big part of golf. But I just think what you can't have is all day long for us. You know to be watching, watching balls just never stop. That that would be that would be bad. Okay, Matt. Uh, let's let's talk some golf. <laughs> let's talk about what we're going to see this afternoon. Uh, certainly, some. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Daniel uh, Daniel Berger and Tony uh, Tony Finau took advantage of their tee time lottery win yesterday, and uh, but it will give them credit because uh, uh, they took advantage. They were the you know the two that posted those early sixty sixes, and uh, as the day wore on, they uh, they climbed further and further up the leaderboard. So uh, certainly they won uh, they won a lottery yesterday, but today they're. Uh, they're they're in the thick of it with with DJ Dustin Johnson with Brooks Kepka and the two looming guys that I see uh, Justin Rose and and Henrik Stenson. Uh, so there are some good golfers left here, and hopefully we will see some fantastic golf this afternoon. First of all, I'd like you to comment on uh, Dustin. He didn't have the greatest day yesterday, but. Uh, he seems to have taken his game to the highest possible level. Brooks Kepka, of course, is trying to do something that hasn't been done in almost 30 years, is win back-to-back U.S. Opens. And Justin Rose and Stenson are uh, two of the greats in the world. Uh, take, uh, take, uh, take those names, uh, Matt, and analyze it for us. I, lo- I love the leaderboard. You know all the all the, well. You you did a great job there assessing the the, the storylines, and um, I think the guys you know Finau and Berger played their way into this. But I I think the guys who dealt with yesterday's afternoon conditions uh, have a bit of an advantage over those two guys who really didn't deal with the the, the stri- extreme scenario. So that that's where yes they took advantage of yesterday, but I think the guys yesterday who played in the afternoon will have a bit of an advantage on those two guys today. They will, you know, in theory, those guys um, will, will 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 be seeing those extreme conditions, you know, really for the for the first time. I think Dustin Johnson always has an advantage over the field when it comes to sort of the the psychological aspect of it, because he's just seen, you know, he's just not phased by much, you know. So he's got he's got excellent uh, ability to sort of forget the past and. Um, for him to have done what he did at Oakmont in you know in in what was that rules controversy shows you know, it's just a quick snapshot of that so not to mention he just when he's at the top of his game he is the best player in the world and i think in playing with his buddy brooks that's going to really help both of those guys they're going to be super comfortable they spend a lot of time together they play similar games um, that that's you got to figure you know the winner would come out of that pairing. Um, if it's not going to come out of that pairing, I think Rose and Stenson are just those, those guys. You know, those guys are also proven major championship winners. They deal with, uh, you know, they de- they've dealt with adversity and getting to to where they are. I mean, I I, I can't wait. You know, I can't, that's part of the frustration. I can't wait to watch. You know, this golf. I just hope that it's just we're allowed to simply watch golf. You know, that's that's why. The first part of this whole interview 
has been about, you know, set up and all this, this craziness. And that, that's the frustration, not only for me, but probably for most of the golf fans and viewers. And because look at that, look at that, look, look at that leader, but look at all the, look at, look at those names and, and the potential of historic, uh, you know, um, historical significance here of what, what's today. Um, just let us watch and enjoy, you know, that's what, that's why we love the masters because when we know that back nine on Sunday, is coming. We get to just just enjoy the eagles and birdies and you know the chips and dips and misses and fun. And, and it's not about anything other than just that. We know where those pin placements are going to be on Sunday. It's good. We're good. Just enjoy the golf. Anyways, Matt, we're going to let you go. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Matt Janella of the Golf Channel. Like you, I look forward to hopefully a uh, a memorable afternoon at, of golf at a fantastic. Uh, classic golf course. Hopefully, the USGA's got uh, has done something with those greens overnight that make them hold and make them uh, a little bit putter friendly. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are as well, Matt. And yeah. my gut tells me it's going to be a memorable afternoon. Well, I hope so. Thanks again for having me, guys. We'll catch up soon. Thanks so much, Matt Janelle of yeah, the bye-bye. Golf Channel. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Naz. Uh, Time for our break. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to change uh, tacks, and we're going to be talking to the lead attorney, Stephen Greigel, of the NHL Concussion Litigation. Mm-hmm. NHL concussions have been in the news this week with, uh, with the Nick Boynton story. We're looking forward to chatting about that. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I'm in Modena, birthplace of Pavarotti. When I knocked on my cousin's door, he opened it and said... My long-lost cousin, you finally come home. You must now marry my neighbor's sister. I said I had to get something in the car and never went back. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. 
Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the uh, Naz and Wally Sports Hour the lead attorney for the uh, NHL players in their litigation, uh, the concussion litigation against the NHL. We're, of course, talking to Stephen Greigel. Stephen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Walter? I'm doing great. Just so you know, my my partner here, Naz, is uh, with me this morning, and uh, we want to talk concussions, and we want to catch up. It's been a while since we chatted. We apologize we're getting a little bit late uh, to you, but uh, we were in deep conversation about Phil the Thrill Mickelson and his exploits <laughs> in the U.S. Open yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you're a golf fan, Stephen. I but, watched it. <laughs> uh, interesting take. But, Stephen, it uh, uh, wasn't the greatest year for the Montreal Canadiens, and we know that you're a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. But uh, Max big, Domi's on big the way. Big trade. Uh, I will ask you, as a, as a Canadiens fan, are you at liberty to uh, to discuss uh, your, uh, your uh, comment on the trade? The Galchenyuk trade? Yes. All I can say is it's going to rank... It ranks already in the top five trades by Mark Bergevin, top five terrible trades by Mark Bergevin. And I think in a few years, it's going to show itself it might be the worst trade he's made. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Stephen, it's been a while since we chatted. Can you please uh, please bring us and our listeners up to date in what's happening with the, uh, with the uh, legal action against the NHL by the former players? Sure. On March the 16th, yours truly had the privilege of arguing in federal district court in St. Paul, Minnesota, on behalf of the retired players, seeking a class action certification for our case. That would mean that all of the players in the retired player group, even those who aren't named in individual complaints, would be part of the case. And we're seeking a class action in two ways. First, we're asking for injunctive relief. We're asking the court to order the National Hockey League to provide a medical monitoring program that would have a robust series of neurocognitive tests and for those who tested positive, follow-up treatments so that their health care would be protected, particularly as to their neurological health. The second thing we're asking the court to do is if she's not going to order that injunctive relief class, to give us what's called issue certification, to certify the case as a class action solely for purposes of issues of duty. Did the NHL owe a duty to these players to warn them about the long-term risks? Did the NHL breach that duty? And third, is there a common issue of what's called general causation? Did that failure to warn and did these repeated blows to the head increase the risk of long-term neurodegenerative diseases for these retired players? We think that we're right on the law and right on the facts in both cases. Obviously, there's another side to the argument, and the NHL made it. Frankly, I think we have the better side on the law and the facts, but the court hasn't ruled yet. That will tell us an awful lot. <laughs> uh, Stephen, just so that I just want to see if I can uh, uh, just pass on to our listeners. You and I understand these conversations being, uh, you know, from the same profession. But uh, it, just so the listeners understand why it's important to be certified as a class action, because if it's not certified as a class action, then each individual player has to prove in their own individual lawsuits uh, has to prove all the same stuff all over and over again. Precisely. And if you're not, and if you're able to certify as a class action, it's all these these really important issues of facts um, 
are, are proven once. Exactly right. And, and it's say, and it's players say, can take advantage of those already proven facts, making their cases much easier to deal with. And it's also, from an economic point of view, it's overwhelmingly uh, uh, you want to have a class action because the legal co- – I mean, one of the great disincentives – to bringing forward legal actions is, of course, the costs involved. And if you impose those costs on each individual player, most of whom are retired and are suffering and maybe don't, you know, a lot of these players perhaps didn't make the big paydays that some of the players make today. They'd all have to hire their own lawyers and pay for their own lawyers, and that would be a tremendous disincentive to justice, would it not? It absolutely would. You've just articulated very clearly the primary justification for class actions. It is to aggregate claims that, even if they're substantial in their own right, are still not cost-effective to litigate. Easy way to give you an example for that. In our class action motion, we filed five expert declarations, five experts discussing the issues that we say can be decided once and for all. For example, general causation. Do repeated blows to the head increase the risk of long-term neurodegenerative disease. One would think that's a self-evident proposition. Anyway, we have five experts on these issues. The NHL came back with 19 experts. The NHL's opposition to our class certification papers amounted to over 1,000 pages, 101 discrete documents, if my memory serves, and, as I said, 19 different experts. It's enormously expensive. And, frankly, defendants know that, and one of the reasons for class actions is just what you pointed out. It makes it a lot easier for individuals to bring their claims that otherwise would be what we call negative value claims. Even if your damages are $500,000, just to take an example at random, it would cost a million dollars to try the case. How many players are involved in this class action suit? Well, we've got, in terms of named plaintiffs, I'm not sure I remember the number exactly, those who have actually signed retainer agreements and those who are actually named in complaints, that's in the neighborhood of 140 players. The retired player number, though, the number of players who are retirees, is around 5,000. So that, of course, would create an awful, bigger, an awful lot bigger case and a bigger critical mass for the NHL to have to deal with it. And it would also mean that if you're a retired player who hasn't signed an agreement with a lawyer or hasn't put your name to a complaint, and the court did order medical monitoring, you could sign up for that program and go get help. And there are plenty of people we understand who are in that category who would take advantage of that program. Another NHLer has come out, and uh, Nick Boynton from Nobleton, Ontario. He's from my hometown, so I know him pretty well. Uh, tough thing for him to come out with. Uh, what's your thoughts on Nick's uh, article? I read Nick's article, and uh, I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, obviously, it was almost viscerally, physically painful to read. Number two, tragic. And number three, triply tragic, because I know that's not the only story. I think Nick Boynton was giving voice to a story that an awful lot of NHL retirees could tell. Uh, Tremendously powerful article. Obviously, I think it makes the point that we've been making all along, and it seems to get lost. Nick said, sure, I understood I could get hurt. There's an acceptance of risk when you play hockey. I played hockey yesterday morning, and I accept when I go out there that I could get hurt. But what Nick didn't accept and what he didn't know about was that he wouldn't just get hurt. 
but that he might be exposing himself to long-term neurological damage from repeated blows to the head. Those are two very different things. Knowing you might get a concussion is one thing. Knowing that repeated blows to the head, whether they're perceived as concussions or not, might lead you to end up with early onset dementia or early onset neurocognitive problems, simply advancing the aging of the brain far more quickly than otherwise would be the case. That's a very different risk, and they weren't. No, and none of these guys knew about that. Uh, we're talking to Stephen Greigel, the lead attorney for the NHL players in the concussion litigation. And you know, I read the I read the Nick Boynton piece, and I encourage all of our listeners if you have any interest in in this topic. And it's 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 not just a hockey story; it's a human story. Absolutely. Um, it's it's found in the Players Tribune. It's very easy to find on the internet. Just Google Nick Boynton. Uh, to our listeners. I highly encourage you to read it. Uh, Nick uh, was also on, he's been on, on uh, local sports radio this week, and he was very, very, um, you know, I, he's a courageous, courageous uh, young man in, in, in going public with his story and being so personal. And a uh, couple of interesting things I took from the story and from his interviews. One one comment that Nick Boynton um, um Quotation marks refers to the NHL being in the in the Stone Ages. Uh, a pretty poignant comment. Um, there was one incident where he feels he was released by a specific team that he didn't want to name, and um, that as a result of his injuries, uh, you know the NH the NFL was called the League of Denial for the longest time. And now I think the the NHL is, has to take over that moniker. In fact, one of my colleagues at the oral argument at the uh, class certification, who had a different argument on a different issue, his name is Brian Penny, he's a wonderful lawyer, he said, Your Honor, the NFL has been called the League of Denial. Actually, the League of Denial, the real League of Denial, and he turned around and pointed at the NHL's lawyers, he said, they're sitting right over there. And, uh, and, and... There are so many um, people now coming out, you know, Ken Dryden's in in the forefront of, of how, the, you know, banning hits to the head completely. Uh, you know, um, Eric Lindros, Nick Boynton, Daniel Carcillo, and um, and one of the comments um, um, that, that's been made is, you know, there's actually... Uh, I don't know if you've read this piece, and sorry to get off on a little bit of a different tangent here, Stephen. I don't know if you've read this piece by a writer at the Pittsburgh Tribune, Mark Madden, who who says that Nick Boynton and Daniel Carcillo deserve zero sympathy from anybody because they knew they chose to play hockey the way they did, and they accepted the risks. And I, I was, you know, I read the article and I was ultimately completely and utterly offended by a lot of the things. They, that this particular writer wrote. I don't know if you've read the article. But I have not, but yeah. you can be sure I will now. And yeah, it's I'm Pittsburgh, already offended. It's in, it's in the Tribune. It's Mark Madden. Um, he he says that Boynton, uh, Nick Boynton and Daniel Carcillo are the wrong messengers, and he's trying to make the point that uh, you know you know Nick. This was post reading Nick Boynton's article. And in the end, in his last paragraph, he says that Boynton and Carcillo deserve zero sympathy. And I'm saying, <laughs> we've got, there's a, there's, you know, if we've got somebody in the media writing this, uh, you know, there's still a bit of an uphill struggle. But I encourage you to read that piece. But I think ultimately one of his points was that Boynton and Carcillo are the wrong messengers, and we need to get the stars of the game. 
We need, uh, you know, we need uh, the Ovechkins, the Crosbys, the Doughties, the, uh, you know, the, all the All-Stars to come out and say, we will not accept hockey if it results in, in, in a player like Nick Boynton to have to write an article the way he wrote it. And we're talking about Nick Boynton. We're not talking about somebody who played 35 years ago where nobody knew any better. Right. You know, we're talking about somebody who played. I mean, I remember Nick Boynton. We used to go watch him play junior A hockey here. He was a star with the Ottawa 67s. I would, I would say a couple of things to that. Number yes. one, speaking of articles, an article came out June the 15th in a source called The Athletic theathletic.com, and the title is Dryden, Bettman, and NHL Concussions, Knee Deep in the Big Muddy. I would commend that to anyone. It's another very thoughtful bit dealing with Ken Dryden's take on precisely the point. No head hits, period. Dryden makes the point, one of the ones I've been making throughout. For years, the NHL has said you can't hit a player on the head with a stick, you can't hit a player in the head with the elbow. Why aren't heads simply off limits? And, of course, we know all the finely parsed Jesuitical rationalizations the NHL puts forward that it's too hard to call in real time and a clean check to the head has always been part of our game. Well, it was always part of the deal that ship workers worked with asbestos until we found out that it killed them. Um, It's the kind of thing that the thoughtful approach that Ken Dryden takes is what's necessary here, and there are enough people saying it. The NHL simply does have to come out of the dark ages on this. And, again, as I've said a thousand times, all we're looking for is for the NHL to take care of its retirees in a way that is consistent with fairness and justice and morality and the theory that the NHL is a family. If you're a family, you take care of those who are hurt, particularly those who help build your family business into the colossus and wonderful game that it is today. Uh, we've been talking to Stephen uh, Grago, the lead attorney. Stephen, uh, on that note... Uh We've uh, we've chatted about this on the air, and we couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the day is long gone where any hits to the head of any kind whatsoever uh, can be a part of the game, whether uh, whether whether from a shoulder or whatever they're from. If we're going to err on the side of caution, we have to err on the side that hits from the head, hits to the head are taken completely and utterly out of the game. These are the most skilled athletes in the world. They really are. If you tell them a hit to the head results in an automatic five-game suspension, the second time you do it, you lose a season. The third time you do it, you're banned for life with the backstop that the supplemental discipline process that's already in place allows you to look at it and see if it really was an intentional head hit. You can adjust the discipline appropriately. Those players would adjust in a nanosecond. Yeah, and especially if you read a story like the Nick Boynton story. Exactly. You know, I mean, young hockey player, young family, and what he's got to look forward to in the next 30, 40 years. We obviously, we cross our fingers, uh, but he's gone through some pretty, pretty difficult challenges. And I prayed are, for him at church this morning, I guarantee it. Yeah. Anyway, Stephen, you know how much we appreciate this. You know which, side, of the, you know which side we, uh, we support. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't hold anything back. I do, and I'm grateful. And we wish you all the best. And likewise, I really appreciate the chance to speak with you both, and... Fingers crossed for the Habs, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Except when they play the blue and white, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. Believe me, I hear it from Gary Lehman all the time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. Stephen, okay. keep well. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. Uh, um, Naz, I know that uh, you're a Nobleton guy, and uh, Bo- uh, Nick Boynton's a Nobleton guy. Yep. And I know, I think, I believe you've actually... King City, so... If I know you, I believe you've actually talked to him on the phone. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, 
You, I mean, you you know the whole Nick Boynton story here, and uh, your reaction um, to on a personal level to uh, to uh, what Nick what what Nick Boynton's well, it took going a lot through. Of, it took a lot of uh, courage to come out with, with the way he did. You know, Nick Nick was uh, Nick was a pretty good defenseman. You're right; he was an all star in Ottawa, and he was an all star with the Bruins. I think one or two times. So he's no slouch as a hockey player. But what happened was he ended up getting put into a situation where he became an enforcer later on in his career. And he didn't like it. He didn't like it one bit. And he did it. And uh, look what's happened to him now. When you look at you look at the uh, list of uh, of the um, even w- whether you were an enforcer or you weren't an enforcer, the players that, you know, have had their careers terminated. Um, you know, the Pat LaFontaine's, the Paul Correa. And we're talking stars here. Yeah. The marks of arts, um, you know Eric Lindros, you know on on a on a Scott Stevens hit that for years everybody said, oh man, that's a great hit, you know that's the way hockey should be played, and and, and and you know and I said it at the time when it happened, you know if that's within the rules, which I've been told a million times it was within the rules, then uh, then it shouldn't be in the rules. Wally, what's going to and happen? that's the bottom line because you know what at the end of the day. Uh, you know, Scott Stevens, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, he was a hard, tough defenseman, and you know, he's suffering from concussion syndromes now too. But I'm not saying it was a dirty hit, but it was borderline when he took when he took Lindros. To me, that was a forearm smash to the head. That was a setup. And, you know, he took advantage of a defenseless player, but that's hockey. You know, that's the way. That's that's what's expect. That was what I don't know if it's expected in today's NHL, but in that day. You know what? You left. You didn't keep your head up. You left yourself open. You were gonna get. You were gonna get clocked. Wally Sidney Crosby and you were had, and you were patted on the back for clocking somebody in the head. Wally Sidney Crosby's gonna come out at the end of his career and discuss the concussion part of his of his career. And that's going to happen. Okay, he's not gonna do it now because he has everything to lose in the NHL, right? So he's not gonna come out against the NHL. But you can bet your bottom dollar when Sidney Crosby retires. That will come out, the concussion part of it, and he's going to lobby for it, but he can't do it now. No, he can't. He can't do it now because he'd probably be ostracized. That's just the what do they call it? The code. Um, you know, there's a certain you know. Naz and I, at the end of the day, you and I don't play in the NHL. We've never played in the NHL. We don't know. I mean, Nick Boynton makes the point in the article, the tremendous pressure he faced to to suck it up, mm-hmm. uh, to not. Um, you know he 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 thinks he had eight to ten con- he had eight to ten reported concussions. He thinks he had another twenty to thirty that weren't uh, medically diagnosed. Where he just he said, "I can't report this to my coach. I can't report this to the team doctor because you know they're they're going to bench me. They're I'm, you know I'm going to lose my job. I got a family to support." So, you know, the, these players are put in these really difficult positions. And, you know, we've got 20 seconds left, Naz. I'll give you the last word. Well, I'd like to wish everybody a happy Father's Day, and uh, especially my father-in-law, who's uh, suffering a little bit right now. Happy Father's Day. Thanks so much for that, Naz. To all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. And to all, have a very safe week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. Thank you so much. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.